So two weeks ago, we launched our focus, and this just gives us some framework for where we're heading this year as, as a church, where God's leading us, where he's taking us. And so last week, Kev dug into the first part, enlarge your house, and he talked about how we enlarge our own capacity, and there was a number of areas in that. If you haven't heard either of those messages, please get on um, our website, get on our podcast and check them out so you're, so you're on board with where we're up to. Um, so today, I, I want to continue in that space of enlarging your house, linked to enlarging our own capacity, which is that going deeper aspect that Kev was talking about over the last two weeks. And one of the things he mentioned last week that really grabbed me was this idea that um, enlarging our own capacity and enlarging um, our house is linked to this idea of enlarging our capacity to be others-focused. I I think we have done ourselves a disservice um, over many decades potentially where, particularly in the Western church, your relationship with God has been reduced to an individualistic thing. It's your personal salvation, it's your ticket to heaven and, and we've pretty much ignored the fact that we've in some ways been called to do this together as community. Um, so I know a bunch of people who would profess to be Christian but do not attend or, or are part of a community of believers. Um, that's not the biblical picture that we see. So there's a whole range of things in that, being others focused. And so what, what I got out of last week, I don't know about you, but the larger our influence, the more our house grows. And the more our house grows, the larger our influence. So they sort of go hand in hand. <laughs> I've written, the more our hose grows. Um, okay. That's all right. We're not doing that. All right. But ex- enlarge your house, build an addition. Let me start by saying this is not about a building project. This is not about building new buildings. This is actually about people. God's focus, as we look through all of Scripture, is people, and it needs to be our focus. It's actually about collectively partnering with Jesus to build his church. He builds his church, but he uses people like you and I, through his indwelling spirit, to to facilitate that process. It blows me away that he would even consider that. But we've got to realise that as he does what he's doing, as God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, triune God, does what he's doing in building his church, that we are not only part of that, we are the recipients of that, we are the ones who benefit from that, we are the ones who get to contribute with that. And that's a pretty cool position to be in. So what I want to do today is just walk fairly quickly through the first half of the book of Acts, where we see the church be birthed and start to grow and see what parallels we can find with with our own story, with where God has us positioned at the moment and what he's continued to have done throughout history. But first, I want to just remind us who we are and why we're here. It's not an individualistic thing. We're actually called to be the family of God. Right through Scripture, we see this term that we are God's children. We are part of a family. We've actually been born into, invited into a family, a family that will be part of our story for eternity, which is why we're called to do Christian life in community. 
We're called to do it with other people. And all those things that we highlight as indicators that we're growing in our Christian faith, all those fruits of the Spirit, they are grown and developed by rubbing shoulders with people, by doing life with people that we don't always get along with that might do something to offend us, that might do something to upset us. And that's where we grow in kindness and that's where we grow in forgiveness and that's where we grow in all these things that actually show that we are part of God's family. And so because we are part of a family, we are called to collectively show the people around us what God is like. I would find it, you would find it really difficult to really display the characteristics and nature of God to someone else if all they're seeing is just you or just me. But when people step in and see a community of people living life the way God instructs us and commands us to live, then we get to show people what God is truly like. That's how he grows his church. So there's a passage that you're probably familiar with, but I just want to reiterate this. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, he talked this image of salt and light. And Peterson in the message has a beautiful way just to put it. You'll be familiar with this more than likely. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavours of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colours in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you a light bearer, don't you think I'm going, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. I reckon we're going to hear that passage many times throughout this year. Because that that little part there about keep open house, be generous with your lives, invite people into the kind of life that God's already invited us into, that's the thing that's going to allow God to be at work in drawing more and more people to himself. That's his mission in the world, is to restore and redeem all of creation, all of mankind, all of humanity back to himself. And we're part of that story. So in the book of Acts, there's a number of things. If you're you're a little unfamiliar with this, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Luke uh, wrote his Gospel and Acts is like part two of Luke's Gospel. Luke was the writer of the book of Acts, writing about how the church was birthed and how it started to grow in those early days, just after the uh, resurrection and ascension of Jesus. So we read in Acts chapter 2, again, you might be familiar with this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And in sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Actually, I'll just pause there. There's four key elements that are mentioned right at the beginning here of the early church. Now, I've heard sermons saying, you know what we need to do? We need to throw away everything we know and go back to living like this. I've heard that preached. 
I've read books about it. I don't think that's where this is leading us. But there's four key elements. The first one is they met and had the apostles' teaching. The apostles were the guys who actually walked and lived with Jesus. So they were the ones telling the stories. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus behaved. This is how he interacted with the Father. This is how he treated people. And they taught about linking all of the stuff that Jesus did to the Old Testament scripture, which was the Hebrew scriptures of the time, that said all this stuff was pointing to Jesus and let us sort of show you how that works. And they started that process. So there was the apostles' teaching, there was fellowship. Now I don't know about you, but I've already mentioned this, but if you try to do a Christian life on your own, isolated from other believers, it is hard. It is hard. I won't go as far as saying it's impossible, but it is really hard because that's not how we were designed to do Christian life. So fellowship was important. Sharing in meals, particularly communion, because communion is the thing that brings Jesus back to the centre of everything. His life, his death, his resurrection. We need to keep remembering that. That's at the centre of all things. Paul writes to the Corinthians, He says, I preach only one thing, and that is Jesus crucified and Jesus risen. That's what it's all about. And then the last thing is prayer. Understanding that prayer is this connection between the heavenly realm and the heavenly reality and the eternal reality that heaven represents and our earthly existence. Prayer is that connection point. Yeah. It, it sort of allows us to be citizens of heaven while we're citizens on earth. Jesus even taught when he taught people to pray, our Father who art in heaven. Now, we can't think of heaven as some geographical place that we can't quite see way up in space. That's not what they mean by the term heaven. Heaven is the very essence of everything around you. God is present. He's invisible to our sight at the moment. But there will come a time when God is com- revealed completely, the earth is renewed and will be in his presence. So these four things, the apostles teaching fellowship, sharing meals and prayer. And as they did this, it was like this sense of family. This new family was being birthed. And so we need to keep shifting our understanding of what we have been called into. If you would say Coast Community Church is your home or any other church, because you might be visiting with us today, Whatever local expression of a church that has Jesus Christ at the centre, that is the family that you are being brought into. We don't get to choose our family. But if we don't have this mindset that I am doing life with family, we lose some of the the impact and some of the actual blessing that's involved in that and some of the growth that occurs in that. But... As you know, living with family brings challenges. And we'll, we'll see how this unfolds as we go through Acts. As we read the next part of this, it says, They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I'll just point out here, they still met in their homes. 
So when it says they sold property and everything they had, it isn't a call to get rid of everything, but anything that was in excess or anything that you could actually survive without, there was this sense of, I want to be generous with that for the sake of others, others focused. What um, the message says in this last bit here, it just says people in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. I love this for two reasons. One, a Christian community, a family, a church, whatever name we want to put on it, when operating the way God designs us to operate is attractive. It should be the most attractive community in our community. And what I also like about this is that God was the one who added and grew the church. It's not about having the best building or putting on the best program or having the best music. All those things might attract people initially, but, but that is not enough to sustain somebody stepping in and going, oh, I'm investing in this family of God. So we can't get caught up in those things. So problems start to happen. And we read this. As the believers rapidly multiplied, we're now in chapter 6 of Acts, There were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against when the food was given. And so the 12 apostles called a meeting of all the believers and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. I like that. Then it continues on. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom, and we'll give them this responsibility, and then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. And everyone liked the idea, so they chose seven people, and those seven names are in the text, I've just excluded them. Um, I can say a few of them, some of them are a bit weird. Um, But I like this idea that As the family gathered, there were roles within the family that people fulfilled. Just like your family, quite potentially. Paul writes about this when he talks to the church in um, Corinth about this idea of being gifted and different gifts are given to different people and when people are operating within their giftedness, the whole thing flourishes. Anyway, the story continues... And um, these seven who were chosen were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted as well. So we see that living as a family actually brings issues. It can bring conflict. Especially as the family enlarges. Hang on, but I've always done that. Why are you trying to do that? Hang on, that's my role. I, you know, I'm the one who looks after that. Don't you come in and try to take over that. We know what that's like in our own family dynamics. We know what that's like in our workplace. We know what that's like in a church context. And so there was issues that arose here. But what I love about this, the household had grown. It's nothing about where their meeting had to get bigger, but the household grew. Just think about... Maybe your own experience growing up with your own siblings or maybe your own family as you've, as you've raised children and, and birthed children. There comes a point where you're living in such a, a scenario and then a child comes along and it changes things a bit and then maybe a second child or some of us here have had twins come at that point 
And all of a sudden, we, we say our household has grown, but nothing has shifted with the physical space in which we live. It's just become a bit more cramped. It's a bit busier. It's a bit more crowded. I don't have enough space to myself anymore. And at some point when that growth happens, we may expand. Now, there's always that joke that people go from the sedan to the, to the minivan. Or, or we've got to go from a two-bedroom house to a four-bedroom house. Or we've got to put an extension on it. We've got to do this. Many of you are sort of smiling because you've been through that. But the first thing that happens, it's the increase of people. That's the priority. The increase of people. And when the people increase, at some point we have to stop and go, all right, how do we manage this? Now, that early church in Acts had many issues start to happen when people started to come into that community. There were racial issues, there were gender issues, there were what language they spoke became an issue. There was the way people were treated and looked after became an issue. What are some of the issues that we'll face as God grows our church? We will face some issues. We will face issues in what spaces we're using. We'll face issues in people coming into our community who aren't quite like us, might have different habits, might live differently, might believe slightly different things. What are the issues that we are going to face as God grows our church? And are we ready to step into that in a a way that shows love and respect and care? Because if we as a church community see somebody or, or, or a family or something who is different to us and our immediate response is, I will not engage, I'll ignore, I'll try to remove myself from. If that's our response, we are blowing it. How do we, as people who say, this is my church home, see one another and have the heart to go, I want to embrace, I want to welcome, I want to be hospitable, I want to befriend, I want to show care for? Because we are really, really, really good at judging others and keeping our distance. I've started watching maths, married at first sight this season. I've watched it with my daughters and my wife. And it's really interesting what I've noticed in myself, and I'm learning to keep my mouth shut, but what I've noticed in myself is you watch something like that and the tendency is to want to judge and speak negatively about. Because you see some behaviour that you don't agree with, you see some response that you think is inappropriate, and the immediate response in me is, I want to judge that. I want to call that out for what it is. That's just a TV show with people I don't even know and I'll never meet. What about the people who are walking through our doors? When that could be our hard attitude. We've got to be really careful. So the 12 leaders, they, it doesn't say in this passage what they did do, but it does say what they knew they wouldn't do. They wouldn't step in and try to solve all the problems themselves. They're going, you know what? We can empower other people to do that. And that would have happened over and over and over as the church grew, not just about how food was distributed to widows, but a whole range of things. 
So there's this delegation from the leaders, but it's not just delegation in the sense of, I don't want to do it, you can do it. It's, you know what, when I empower you to do something, you are contributing in a way that you haven't been contributing before. And when you're aligning that with how you're gifted, that just lands in this sweet spot where we become better for one another. I really love that. They were focused on what they were called to do and they were called to pray and to teach. And what I love about this, just but prior to this, back in Acts chapter 5, listen to this. The apostles were arrested and put in the public jail, but an angel of the Lord came in the night and opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. And he said to them, go to the temple and give the people the message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple and as they were told, immediately began teaching. The apostles knew what their role was in the community. It was to pray and to teach. I've got a fairly good idea of what my role is in this community. Do you? What's your role in this community? Because you have one. It's a great... Read Acts chapter 5. It's a really cool story about how they were just freed from jail and then the next morning they went in to get them out of jail and they weren't there and they didn't know what to do and um, they were in the temple preaching and teaching. They didn't run away. They, it was a good story. Check it out. So as we continue through the book of Acts and the church continues to grow, there's this, there's this sense that the, the church kept gathering for worship and teaching. Those other aspects are still there, the fellowship, the prayer, the communion, but worship and teaching was the central theme we start to see now carry on. Big part of our Sunday gathering, worship and teaching, because there's something powerful about doing that together. And so as we read more, we see Paul miraculously converted on the road to Damascus. And so he's, he's, he starts joining up with the apostles and they're not sure how to take him because he's the guy who really hated them and was trying to get them all killed. And, and it took a while for them to even accept him and realise he was the real deal. And, and then we see Paul start to do some things and the apostles sent him back to his hometown because he was trying to preach in Jerusalem and no one was really trying to... No one was really hearing it because they go, hang on, there's something amiss here. This guy hates us. This guy wants to kill us. But now he's here saying he's part of us. And so the apostles in their wisdom said, we're going to send him back to his hometown and maybe he can start with the people who knew him to show how he's changed, to show how Jesus has changed him. So they send him back to his hometown. And what we see after they send him back, and I don't know if this is a bit of a slight on Paul or not, But we see in Acts chapter 9, once Paul went back to his hometown, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. A couple of things in play there. Paul's teaching that he is now recognising Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, came as a surprise to the existing church so that was a tension. But there was also this thing that happened with uh, Ananias and Sapphira, who two people who were part of the church, and they tried to cheat God 
And they both dropped dead when they were revealed that they tried to cheat God. So this is what's happening in the church at this time. And so people have this fear of the Lord, that God is really up to something here. God is serious. This new movement, there's something significant happening. So all this is part of the message. But here in the story, we see a shift. And we see this shift because up to this point, the focus of the church was the Jewish people. The people who, for all intents and purposes, probably will understand what we're talking about when we talk about this Jesus guy being the Messiah. Because they understand that the Messiah is part of their story. So up to this point, the apostles dealt basically with Jewish people. People who would have an understanding of what religion is about. But then we start to see what we call the Gentiles, all those who were non-Jews, start to be involved in the church. Listen to what happens here. So this is in chapter 11 of Acts. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. There it is. News of them, sorry, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch, and when he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done, and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, or Paul, that's where they'd sent him. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So here we see this picture of the church that existed, realised, hang on, we can't keep staying with the, the group that we think will get this. We need to spread out and we need to share this good news with others. So my question to us is, who is that in your world? Who is that in my world? Because we would say Australia now is a, has a post-Christian culture. We have generations being born and raised in Australia now who have no experience with going to church. I remember at university, so in the 1990s, becoming friends with this guy who was a little bit older than me, and he grew up in outback Queensland and had never heard the gospel about Jesus Christ, grew up in Australia, never heard it, couldn't believe some of the things I started to share with him. Now he'd heard Jesus and he'd heard Christians and he'd heard church, but didn't know what the story was, didn't know it had any relevance to him and his life. There are generations now growing up in Australia where that's their story. That would be like the Gentiles back in this picture. There are a whole bunch of people who might not have the language, might not have the understanding, might not have the inclination of how this is even relevant, but how are we getting into their spaces and sharing this with them? If we fully believe this is good news, this is life-changing, this is worth giving yourself to, if we fully believe that, what are we doing in those spaces? And we're going to unpack that this year. That's where we're heading with our next part, spread out your home. Spare no expense. 
So I sense this is where we find ourselves as a church right now. I think this is where God has positioned us. He's led us to this point in our story, in our history, to say, I have taken you deeper. And that is awesome because you have to go deep to go wide. But it's time to go wide. It's time to go wide. How intentional can you be with this? Knowing that, spare no expense, knowing that it will cost us to go wide. It won't be easy. But if we understand what we've been invited into, if we understand who we truly are, if we understand what God's doing in this place, can I just encourage you, get on board. Get on board and be part of the journey. And we'll actually do it together. So there's some little cards that you may have seen over the last couple of weeks. Have we got those? Thanks. And you may have had one of these already, you may not. It's a little like a business card and there's three areas on the back of things you're you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to prayerfully consider this and I want to write something down so I'm accountable to it that I can commit to doing this year. Three areas. And one of them is around this idea of how can you contribute to what God's doing here? How can you be part of this story with intention How can you be part of this story that's going to actually cost you something? How can we remove some of that consumer mindset and have a contributor mindset? How can we be his church and his people in such a way that he will draw more and more into his family, into his kingdom? Because that's why we exist. So can I get you to put your hand up if you want one of these. If you haven't got one or you've got one and you want to get another one, put your hand up. We'll put one in your hand right now. And as that happens, can I pray for us? So Jesus, I thank you that you don't leave us where you find us. I thank you that You love us enough not only to call us into your family as your children, but you love us so much that you want to grow us and shape us to become more like yourself. And in that process, God, you work in us and through us to draw other people to yourself. So I pray that as your church, as this little expression of your church across the world, Coast Community Church, Bensville and Tumby, I pray that we can align with your vision and your passion for people more and more. I pray that we can be conscious of how we can contribute to inviting people in, to welcoming people. I pray that we can have the courage to open up our homes, to open up our lives and be generous to others. And the reason we would do any of this, God, is because it brings glory and honour to you as more and more people come into your family. We know that you do the work. We know that you do the growing. But we thank you that you choose to do that with us. And we just want to stand or sit here this morning as your people and say, would you have your way in us? And we thank you in advance for what you are doing and what you will continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen.